At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Habits, Ancient Practices for Today's World, where we'll learn to reject culture's endless stream of quick fixes for God's time-tested truth. Together, we'll rediscover age-old practices that draw us to Him, where true satisfaction awaits. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Woodside. Thank you for online joining us. My name is Matt Sellers, and I am the student ministry director here. And I have uh, the awesome privilege to speak this July 4th, and I'm super excited that we have the freedom in this country, that we can come and we can worship God in this place. Uh, like I said, this is my first time speaking up here, so I know a lot of you uh, by face, but I don't know all of you. So just a little bit about myself. I've been in student ministry uh, here for about four years on staff. I've been serving for a little bit longer within this uh, campus at this church, uh, but I'm super honored to be here. Um, I have a wife named Erica. You may have seen her from time to time around this campus. She does a lot of pictures uh, at baptisms. Uh, she was here a lot during kids camp, just taking a lot of the pictures that we have here at Woodside. Uh, so me and my wife have been married almost five years, coming up in August. Uh, we have two kids. We have Hudson, who is almost two and a half, and we just had uh, our other beau, who's six weeks old, and he is a chunker. Um, we love him, but he loves to eat too, but it's, he's great. And I'm excited to dive into God's Word with all of you this morning, but before we do, I want to ask a question. How many people in here have smartphones? Most of you, right? Most everyone has smartphones, and if you're like me, uh, you struggle to put your smartphone aside, or your smartphone can become a distraction in your life. And for me, you know, like I said, I have a two-year-old, uh, two, almost two-and-a-half-year-old who loves to play. So when I come home, he loves to uh, play with books. He likes to read books. He likes to play with, um, I mean, everything, anything. Balls in the house. He's in the stage where he just likes to throw things right now, like just throw things all over. But what he loves is he loves attention. He loves when uh, me or my wife can sit down with him and, and just play and just give him time. Yet, we live in such a world that has so many distractions, and if you're like me, you have the temptation of, of text messaging or notifications on your phone. And there's been time where my two-year-old has told me in the midst of uh, you know, reading or building blocks that he says, Dada, don't like phone. Don't like it. Put it away. Because I'm so easily distracted by what's going on with things around me. I was joking about this with Pastor Alex um, as I was preparing for this sermon. He's like, hey, you know, you kind of do the same thing sometimes when we're in our one-on-one -on -one meetings. And you don't pull out your phone, but you look at your Apple Watch because it buzzes. And I'm like, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I, I want to know what's going on. I don't want to miss out. But we all know Alex, though, because he, he can be a little long-winded at times, right? I'm sorry, Alex. I, I do love you. I'm just joking. But, um, the reason I bring this up is because we live in a day and age that's full of uh, communication. It, it's going fast. There's a lot of information that comes at us, and it's very easy to get distracted in this world. And I bring up phones not to start this message on preaching against like, hey, throw your phone out the window. That's not what I'm here to do. But I'm more so to bring up the point that it's very easy for us to be distracted in this day and age. To simply put this, most of the time, most of us are no more than six feet away from our phone, which can be a distraction in our life. And I bet throughout this message that some of you are going to be on your phone 
because it's a distraction. And, and it's one of those things that we live in this day where it's so easy for us to be distracted. But over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about this series, Habits, Creating Habits for Us. Um, and today, uh, I'm going to be talking specifically on Bible reading and uh, specifically on meditation. What does it look like to meditate on God's Word? Because God's Word is holy, it's precious, and it's a gift to us, and it is an oasis for us in a world that really is a desert. And we look to God's Word to be our oasis during the week, or to put it more straightforward, do we hear from God in a distracted world? Do you hear from God in your Bible reading in a distracted world, or, or to do take time to listen by meditating on God's word. Now, if you're like me, when you think of meditation, maybe your mind first goes to Eastern practices. You're like, hold up, Matt. We don't meditate, right? We don't meditate like that, and we're Christians, right? We're not Hindus. We're not uh, Buddhists. We don't meditate, and if that's your first reaction, that's great because it's good to care about truth, right? And we don't want to bring false practices into Christianity, However, the practice of Christian meditation is something that is not borrowed. Christian meditation is something that is not borrowed. We didn't steal it from Eastern religions. It's deeply native. It's not only a, a part of, of our historical Christian practice, but it's in the Bible itself. So while meditation is Christian, it's something that's deeply different than Eastern meditation. The notion of Eastern meditation is to clear one's mind. Right, to slow down and to clear one's mind. However, biblical meditation is taking text or taking scripture and foc focusing on truth, putting truth inside your head. To meditate on God's word is to take proper time to ponder a passage and let the spirit work in your life. It's to go beyond just reading your Bible to read it, but to think, to meditate, and to study God's word. We have a verse in Hebrews 4 that kind of explains this idea of meditation further. It says this, uh, be on your screens, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and is active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, and of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. And there's two things I want to quickly notice uh, from this passage, a familiar verse maybe for a lot of us. The first is that God's word is living and it's active, right? It's not a stagnant message. It's not just another book in history that we read to learn about events. It's living because it's breathed out by the Holy Spirit. The second is there is a shift from making God's word personal in verse 3. 13, what makes God's word living and active is that the pres uh, presence of the Holy Spirit speaking to the believer as he and she or he or she engages in God's word. And God is present in speaking to us when we meditate, when we take time to slow down and focus on what God is saying. To provide a definition, scripture meditation is to practice of actively listening to what the Spirit is saying to you through the Bible. It's engaging in a relationship, a divine relationship with our Father, hearing from him. It is a space that we create that God can speak to our hearts. 
Speak to our souls, the innermost part of our being, that God can pierce to the heart. And I hope that excites you this morning. Um, And what could be more exciting knowing that in every single word, the Spirit meets us there. And there's power in God's presence. We see uh, meditation early on in the Bible, in Deuteronomy 6, where God actually commands his people to meditate. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4, says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit on your house or when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as the sign on your hands, and they shall be at the frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. And this is like the original verse, right, where we get people who throw scripture up on your wall. How many people have scripture up on their wall at your house? A few of you, a handful of you. Um, I know we do, and they bring that up because it's kind of funny as I thought about that. I was thinking, I don't even know if I can recall what verses I have up in my house, right? And it made me think, like, do I meditate on the words that I'm trying to surround myself with? But what we see here early on um, that God commands his people to meditate on his word because he wants his people to hear from his voice. He wants his people to hear from him. It was a command. But it wasn't meant to be like a joyless, like, okay, God, I'm going to obey you in this. It was meant to bring life, to deliver the the believer to, to wholeness and joy for those who meditate on God's word. As a, a psalmist writes in Psalm 119, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day. And so today, we're going to dive specifically in Psalm 19. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Psalm 19. And we're going to see here that this psalm does more than just talk about spiritual meditation or scripture meditation. It practices it out. It gives us an outline of what it looks like to meditate on God's word. And so if you have your Bibles... Uh, It'll be on the screen. You can follow along with me. It's quite a a long passage, but I'm going to read it all here uh, this morning. Psalm 19, verse 1. It says, The heaven declares the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And in them he has set a tent for the sun." which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the earth, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise to the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them that there is a great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also for presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. 
Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Let the word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So throughout Psalm 19, there's two objects here that I see as I was studying this is that we first see that uh, as you meditate on God and God's word, there's a meditation on God's uh, creation. There's a meditation on God's creation and God's word. And this leads me to my first point today is that nature reveals God's glory. Nature reveals God's glory. Have you ever thought that creation is speaking to you? And I'm not like talking about like you know, we have like Groundhog's Day, and we're trying to figure out like if it's going to be spring soon, or if it's going to be more snow, and we're like, hey, what's Mother uh, Earth trying to tell us? Like, what's going on? Not in that way, but what I mean is that God has written a message to all of us through his creation. And when we meditate on what he's made, it allows us to respond to who God is. And this is what the psalmist means when he writes, and starting right out in verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. You know, King David was a man who spent a lot of time in the wilderness. You know, King David, he started, right, as a shepherd boy, who spent a lot of time out in the wilderness. Then he was a soldier, a refugee running for his life. He spent a lot of time hiding in caves. And it was a pretty significant time before he even had a roof over his head, a steady roof over his head. So he spent a lot of time in the wilderness, and he had a lot of time to think and to listen to what is God telling him through his creation? What does creation speak to him about God's glory? And the same is true for us today, because God has a message to us about his glory that he pours out to us each and every day if we just slow down and we look for it and we listen Because every new discovery, every breath of wind, every ray of sunshine, and even in the snow, though we don't love snow, maybe some of you do, but even in the snow, the quiet place in your backyard, there's shouts and there's whispers of God's glory all around us that I feel that we often take time and neglect and we don't reflect on God's beautiful creation you know, Romans 1.20 says this. It says, For the invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. And so elegant is creation in proclaiming God's glory that we are told we have no excuse not even to acknowledge that there is a God who has created nature, who has created this beautiful earth that we get to enjoy. And there's certain places that shout God's glory, and there's certain places that whisper God's glory. I mean, for me, one of my favorite places uh, is Mackinac Island. Uh, I have a lot of special memories there. Uh, Eric and I, I mean, we started uh, our honeymoon there. We, um, you know, we've gone there multiple times. We've taken huts in there. We're going in the fall, taking bow. I've gone there growing up. I love Mackinac Island, but there's one spot specifically where it's up on a hill, and, you know, you stand up there, you ride your bike around the island, and you can ride up to the spot, and it's like, you know, to the left is the Grand Hotel, and then it kind of goes down the hill to the city, but I love this spot because you can just stand up there, and you can just see for miles, right? You can see 
the lakes. You can see the lower peninsula, the upper peninsula. You can hear birds chirping, the winds blowing. And it's just a beautiful place for me and my family where, where I just love to sit and, and just take in the beauty of God's creation. Knowing that someone, right, God had to speak and create this into existence, and it demonstrates that God's masterpiece, his glory of who he is. And what I love is that I can hop on a plane and go to Arizona where I have family out there, my brother, uh, sister-in-law, and their kids are out there, and I can go and I can see a whole new setting, right? Because they live around the Phoenix area where it's like rocky and it's very hilly, but it's beautiful. And it's a whole different landscape, yet it still shouts God's glory. And I can go hiking on, on different trails, which I love to do, and just see God's masterpiece, and that his nature reveals glory, his glory, and a little bit about who he is. And there's places in this world that shout God's glory, and I know we realistically can't always travel to all these places, but there's places even here that God whispers his glory. Maybe it's for you, it's just sitting in your backyard, having a bonfire, looking up at the stars, acknowledging that God had made this, and it reveals something about him. Will you listen? And as Christians, we meditate on God's world, but our meditation doesn't end there in this passage. It moves from the general glory of God's world to a specific wisdom that we see in God's law. And that's our second point today, is that law reveals joy, and it reveals wisdom. God's word reveals joy, and it reveals wisdom. In verse 7, the psalmist here shifts from meditating on creation to meditating on God's word. As he considers God's law, he describes God's law in two categories or two fruits that it produces when the believer meditates on God's word, and it is joy, and it is wisdom. And so, uh, what I see here, as I read this, there's a couple different things that it says, God's law, he says, it's perfect, it's trustworthy, it's right, it's radiant, it's pure, it's firm. In understanding what God's law is, we find our first reasons why we should meditate on God's word, why we should meditate on God's word. Our firm foundation in God's word should be built all together, perfect, trustworthy, right, Radiant, pure, and firm. And I love these combinations of adjectives here. Is because if we're building a house, there's two things that you want, right? First, if you're building a house, what do you want? A foundation. You want it to be right, and you want it to be trustworthy. Because if you build a house, you can build a house wherever you want, right? The most beautiful spot on earth, whether you like to be up in the mountains or you want a house on the beach, you can build it wherever you want, but if it doesn't have a good foundation, and it's not right, and it's not trustworthy, that house is worthless, right? Because the first storm that comes through there, the house is gone, or it's going to leak, and you're going to have problems, and you don't want that. Likewise, at the same time, if you're building a house, and you do have trustworthy foundation, and it is right, you want more than just a warehouse, right? Right? You want more than just a warehouse. You want it to be perfect. You want it to be beautiful. You want it to be elegant. You want it to be lovely. And this is what this passage is all talking about. And this is what we're offered as the foundation of God's law. God's word gives us these building blocks to our relationship with Christ through his word. 
As Jesus puts it, Matthew 7, 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who builds his house on the rock. We build the house by meditating on God's word. We build our relationship with Jesus by uh, getting into his word and responding to him as he speaks to us through his spirit, living in such a way that these fruits of joy and wisdom are produced in our life. And so to break these down, we first see that joy is produced. Right? God's law, he says, revives our soul. It revives our soul. It rejoices the heart. And it is sweeter than honey. It makes me think of, of the idea, are you weary? How's life going currently? Are there struggles? Come to the fountain of the word and let God encourage you. Are you downcast? You wrestle with depression, sadness, anxiety, fear. Remember that the love of your Redeemer is in his word and it can restore you to joy. Is your life dull or do you feel like life is just bland? Come taste the sweetness of of honey. And what does it look like? A a life that is well lived for God. A life that is well lived for God. Christ. God's word, we find joy, but it's more than just pure pleasure because it also gives us wisdom as the psalmist continues on. In God's law, it says, verse 7, it says, makes wise to the simple. It enlightens the eyes and endures forever, is righteous altogether. It warns God's servant, and it leads to great reward. God's word may not tell you who to marry, may not tell you what college class to take. It may not tell you how many kids to have. But God's word does tell you how to love your spouse well. Right? God's word does tell you that even in the world, as you live a job, you can live a job with an eternal purpose. It tells you how to raise kids. It tells you how to live an abundant life in Christ and how to experience joy in that. The reality is, is we have the tool here that can reform our lives in God's word. If we use it, we meditate on it with the Spirit's help to guide us through his word. But why don't we? Now, I watched a video uh, about this. It was very interesting. Uh, It was was, uh, a video that kind of demonstrated this. It was this man who was in his house, and he was uh, standing out in the kitchen. And the water on the faucet was just running the whole time. And he was sitting there, he was kind of hunched over, eating some toast, and he opens the cupboard to grab a glass, and he's staring at that water that's running, and then he walks to the other room and goes to the toilet. And he scoops up some water, and he drinks it. And then he continues to go about his day, all while this water is just running in the background. Right, then he goes, he grabs his toothbrush, dunks it in the toilet, puts some toothpaste on, brushes his teeth, does his hair, gets ready. You can only assume he goes to the bathroom in this very same toilet. But it's this reality that we have God's word that is perfect, that can give us joy and wisdom, yet we often go to other places for our information, whether that's information from our phone, on different websites, Googling things, different news sources. We go to other places to give us joy and other places that hopefully we can find wisdom all along we have this running water that is here. It's like, it's like Hudson. You know, I could cook a steak for him. 
right? I could cook a filet. It could be perfect, medium rare, best steak, right? Medium rare. Anyone? A few of you? I could give it to him, and he would say, I don't like that. It's yucky. I want dino nuggies. I'm like, dino nuggies? Like, that's not even meat. I don't know what's in that, but it's shaped like a dinosaur, and he loves it. He could have steak, but he'd rather have dino nuggies, and the same goes to us. We can have God's word. We have access to joy and wisdom, yet we go to other places seeking joy and wisdom when we have the truth that is right in front of us because we live in a distracted world. We, we turn our head to find different areas of joy and wisdom. Let us come and experience something better by meditating on God's word, the truth that can truly fulfill our soul. And the big idea today is that meditation really reforms our hearts. Meditation reforms our hearts. Understanding that we stand before God the creator, God the lawgiver, after the psalmist has meditated on this word, he breaks forth in prayer. He responds to God. Verse 12 says, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also for presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, that I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Meditation on God's word has revealed the brokenness in this psalmist's heart. It has shown him, right, his errors, and indeed that he was a broken individual, that he had sin in his life. It reveals the hidden faults and the presumptuous sins, but through wisdom, right, through wisdom of God's word, through the spirit, because he meditated on God's word, it leads the psalmist to innocence, as it says that God has become his rock and he has become his redeemer and he has saved him. And so the question for us today is do you desire a reformed heart? Do you desire a reformed heart? Do you want to love God and experience the joy that he offers us? Do you want to experience the joy that is offered to us through Jesus, through his death on the cross, his resurrection, that he took on our sins, that we can have a personal relationship with him. And he calls us to follow after him, to read his word, to meditate on his truth, and speak to us through his spirit, that we can find joy, and then we can find wisdom and live a life that is abundant. Understanding the joys offered by meditation and having that relationship with the Father. So you may be asking, as we get ready to close here in just a few minutes, how do I meditate? What does that even look like? And there's different ways to approach meditation, um, and I don't think there's necessarily one way you have to do it. But John Ortberg lays out a couple steps of meditation. He says, ask God to meet you in Scripture. Before you open your Bibles, ask the Spirit to meet you there. Read the Bible with a repentant spirit. Meditate on a fairly brief passage or narrative. Take one thought or verse with you through the day and allow the thought to become part of your memory. In breaking down these steps, meditation can begin, but it really begins with faith. Faith in Christ. As we approach God's word with faith, 
Remember this truth. The Spirit of God who wrote the Bible in the early believers' hearts, who wrote this Bible, the same Spirit can help you discern the words in this text. The same Spirit can help you read God's Word. And going back to my opening point about phones and distractions, we live in a fast day and age. We're constantly moving. We're constantly running around, constantly looking at our phones and different things for, for TV, um, for, for news, for entertainment, and all these different things. And our minds tend to, to today really struggle to remember unless you slow everything down and really focus on something. And that's kind of how, how, how we have to do it in this day and age, is to slow down and focus and meditate on, on anything that we want to learn. I love Donald Whitney. He shares this in his book, Spiritual Disciplines. We are less likely to retain biblical information if we're just looking to read God's word. Because there's so much going on in our mind. We're constantly thinking about work. What do we have to do after work? What's for dinner? What's the next thing? That if we don't slow down and meditate, it's just going to go in our head and out. He puts it this way that I, I absolutely love. He says, if we read God's word just to read it, we may only grow in knowledge. But if we meditate on God's word, we will grow in Christ-likeness. I love that. We meditate on his word. If we take time to take God's word, to study it, to hide it in our hearts, it will come out in our lives when we need it. When we're having those joyous moments and we can reflect on God's beauty and creation, it will come out. When we're in the midst of a valley and we're struggling and we can have God's word to bring forth out of our mind to help us walk through those valleys... We have to meditate on Scripture to do that. When we're faced at work or with that opportunity to share the good news with someone, we need to know God's Word to bring it to the front of our minds so we can share it with others. We need to take time to pray over Scripture, to understand it, to hold tightly to it, and allow the Spirit to show us application in it. To reiterate that point, we must slow down because, we want, because what we tend to do is to blaze through Scripture. Blaze through it, check it off. I read my Bible today, I'm good. George Mueller says it this way, it's just water running through a pipe. It's not going to saturate your life. It's not going to influence our lives. And there's all these various strategies that, that I've shared with you. Memorizing uh, scripture, taking pen and paper as you read God's word are all possible ways to help meditation happen. And meditation truly is, is a fight for joy. Memorizing, memorizing verses, encouraging you along the way. Um, I, I think about it this way. How many of us are, um, when we go about our life, uh, whether you're waiting in Starbucks, you're waiting in, in a line, what's the first thing you do? A lot of us, maybe not all of us. When I'm waiting or there's that pause, the first thing I do is I'm like, well, I'm going to pull my phone out. I'm going to look at it. I'm going to scroll through notifications. What would it look like for us during the busyness of day when we have those moments of like, hey, I can slow down for a second. Do we cite scripture? When you're standing in line, instead of going to our phone or other things that distract us, do we take time and reflect on God? Maybe it's his creation in those moments, taking time to slow down and reflect on him. Whatever your strategy, remember, it's not the strategy that will magically deliver you to divine relation. It is the grace of God to speak to you as you approach him, as I approach him, by faith. And at its core, it's a repentive heart. It's a repentant heart. Our faith must go beyond the truth of God's word, which is great, but we must believe that God's love for us is greater and that he wants to meet you in Scripture, 
And he wants to meet you there, and he wants to speak to you. All this being said, this is a discipline, and this is a habit that we, ha- that we have the challenge to learn. And I think the idea of habits and discipline are not new to us, right? We know how to make uh, habits happen. For instance, um, about two and a half months, I- I've been going to the gym, and it's become a habit, and I've lost some weight. Now, if only I could you know, eat better, maybe it would help a little bit more. But I've learned that it's a habit. It takes work. It takes repetition. But like, it gets into my mind of like, hey, if I don't go to the gym, you know, I feel bad because I want to go, because I like going, because it's a part of me now. It's a part of my room. It's a habit in my life. The same true is about God's word. You know, I've fallen in love with the game of golf the past two years. You want to talk about discipline? I mean, there's so much to do when you golf, so much to think about, constantly trying to fix your swing, feel like you're never going to be good, because there's so much discipline that needs to go in that. But the reality is we take time to make those a discipline, because we like to golf, or we like to work out, or we want to eat better, or we want to do this and that. You know, we have students in here, right? We want to play, want to be good at video games, right? We want to be the best. We know what discipline is. But do we make habits of reading our Bible? Do we make habits of meditating on God's word? Is God's word a priority in your life today? Maybe that's what you need to wrestle with today, is do you want to make God's word a priority in your life? Because if we do, we find joy and we find wisdom that only comes from God's word if we rely on his spirit. And that's my challenge to, to us today. This is a challenge to me. God has been speaking to me very much as I have been reading this, and he's been challenging me. And to make, we need to create a space, whether that's in the morning, in the evening, or wherever you find yourself that you can have free time, create a space where you can slow down, put the distractions aside, leave the phone outside the room, turn the TV off, and find a place where you can slow down and you can ask the Lord to come into your reading Ask the Spirit to speak to you, that you can grow in joy, that you can grow in wisdom, and you can grow in Christ-likeness. We seek after Him in faith. Thank you for joining us today as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.